Welcome to the Higher Ed Demand Gen Podcast, helping higher education marketing leaders share knowledge about learning, strategies, and tactics that are relevant today. See what you can learn today by listening to one of our episodes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Higher Ed Demand Gen Podcast, hosted by Concept3D. My name is Shiro, and today I'm very thrilled to talk about the future role of the CMO, especially in higher ed and what we've learned from 108 institutions' strategic plans. So for this topic today, I'm super excited to also introduce our guest, Rob Zinkin. Uh, Rob serves as the Vice President for Marketing Leadership at RHB. And if you didn't know, RHB is one of the top higher ed consultancies out there, uh, specifying in a lot of areas, all somewhat related to marketing. Uh, He also has a long history of serving at Indiana University. So please welcome... Rob to the podcast. Shiro, thanks so much. Looking forward to the conversation. Appreciate the invitation and congrats, by the way, on the podcast. You've had a big 2022-23 academic year. What are you, 50 50 plus episodes in now? 50 plus episodes, yeah. That's great. Happy to be here. Thanks so much, Rob. Appreciate the recognition. Um, Well, yeah, let's jump in. So if you've listened to an episode, you know I love asking this question. So Rob, what do you love about higher ed? It's a great question because that's why we're in the sector we're in and we do what we do. So I would I would say number one, mission. You know, is there a more important and compelling mission than than higher ed in terms of unlocking opportunity, improving people's lives, transforming their lives, not just improving them, but transforming lives and advancing society. And then number two, more specifically, would be the students. And you mentioned my long history with Indiana University the last four years at RHB. So I I had always been on a university campus. And now with uh, RHB, a higher ed firm, I I miss being on a campus. And so I teach as an adjunct uh, three courses a year at two different universities, a master's program in strategic communications and a doctoral program in higher ed leadership. So going alongside students in that journey uh, it's it's a remarkable gift seeing their growth and development, and I think I always get more out of it than they do. Uh, and their online courses, we just had a, a live session though Monday night, and I was telling the students how much inspiration I draw from them, and again mm-hmm. seeing their growth. So the students, it's it's fantastic. That's amazing. And, and before 2019, what was your teaching journey like before that? Was this new to you? It was new. It had been many years since I had taught. Uh, I think the last time I taught a course was an undergraduate sports marketing course right after my master's degree program. Okay. Uh, so it's been it's been great. It's been really fulfilling. That's amazing. That's glad to. I'm really glad to hear that. Well, let's let's jump in, right? And so I know you have tons of experience, and we, I could probably ask you about anything in regards of uh, higher ed marketing and higher ed missions. But you know, one really interesting thing that you've done over at RHB as of recent is uh, you conducted a research of around 108 higher ed strategic plans. This is from different universities, right? And you were able to uh, analyze and do more research on what really made the strategic plan a good plan, right? And so could you share some of the findings from it as well? Sure. It was so fascinating to do this and uh, doing this research with me, Dr. Amy Hoseman, who's our director of qualitative research at RHB. And we had a graduate assistant, speaking of Indiana University, from the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, Connor LaGrange. 
And yeah, we looked at 108 strategic plans, 2,400 pages of strategic plans. So some light reading there. Uh, you know, we slept well in the evening if we were, uh, if someone was looking at a strategic plan. Uh, Four-year institutions and tried to get a public and private institution from each state. And then from those plans, we identified 16 that we considered the most strategic or they exhibited the most strategic tendencies and then had the pleasure of interviewing leaders from many of those institutions, ranging from the president or chancellor to the chair of their strategic planning committee or even their chief strategy officer. And a couple of general themes I could touch on to, to get the conversation started that we saw. One would be a lack of strategy. And that's the, the title of the, the white paper that you read. And we have a book that we even published from the study here that uh, I'm showing on camera, what makes a strategic plan strategic. And so understanding a strategy as uh, as an intervention, that it should be something that requires behavior change. And so something for listeners, as you look at your strategic plan to ask yourself, are these things that we should be doing already? And knowing that a list of ambitions or goals is not necessarily strategy, that a strategic plan should reflect hmm. a set of choices about how an institution should move forward. So one example, Shiro, we saw plans that had as many as 20 overarching strategic goals. And so that's that doesn't necessarily reflect choices. You know, if everything's a priority, what truly is a, a priority? And, and how do I know what that behavior change should be? So that key point about strategy should be an exercise in making choices. And then the other general observation or takeaway from, uh, from this study would be a lack of, of student-centeredness and the, the internal nature of strategic planning that plans are created for an institution, by an institution. And Connor, our graduate research assistant, was so valuable because that, he was the first one to have that light bulb moment that he said, where am I in these plans? Where am I represented in these plans? And so plans that did exhibit the, the most strategic tendencies, they discussed students, uh, student well-being, student success more frequently than others. And they also involve students in the process. So undergraduate students, graduate students, were members of, of uh, task forces or working groups. They had a meaningful role and it wasn't just one student. Like, oh, okay, we're gonna check the box and have a student representative. They would have multiple students mm. as part of committees and working groups. And that's hard work. Again, that, that can be where strategic planning can get messy and you know, having lots of different voices, but it's an integral part of the process. So those two things, the lack of strategy and lack of student-centeredness were two of those key things that that we walked away with from looking at 108 plans. Mm -hmm. And pointing out the lack of strategy that you just mentioned, you know, one thing I heard was, you know, there's too many, often too many goals associated or too many ambitions. And did you find that the 16 that really stood out actually had fewer of those uh, goals in that they were narrowed down and more focused on building out the strategy aspect versus just the ambition aspect? Yeah, we, we did. Uh, on average, the across all plans, they were, there were five and a half goals on average. Mm -hmm. Among this set of 16, it was typically in the three to five oh, range. Wow. Okay. And it, and it does get to this issue of in strategic planning that you want to have an inclusive and participatory process mm -hmm. Everyone has a voice and is engaged, 
but does everyone have a vote? You know, again, if strategy reflects a set of choices, you you want to hear all voices, you want to engage, but ultimately you have to you have to make some decisions along the way. And and one of the roles that marketing can help is the communication around those decisions. And it was fascinating to see how institutions exhibited transparency in their strategic planning process and how they, um, you know, how they bridged that great degree of participation within, yeah, getting to three or five key goals um, versus trying to, you know, please everyone or, or have a, have, uh, you know, a plan that tries to do everything. So one, one quick example, we had uh, a small college and talked to their president. They were one of the uh, 16 and the president, they, they shared iterations of the strategic plan with changes tracked. I mean, it was that granular in wow. terms of being transparent. And I'm not saying that everyone should do that. Again, that gets to extra effort and the messiness that is part of strategic planning, but it's an example of one way that worked for them, that fit their culture. That was a, a great way to show, okay, you you should know what mm-hmm. what changed or how this process is evolving or how our thinking is evolving because it's all right, it's all right here. So again, not necessarily for everyone, but I admired that approach as a way to, yes, we heard everyone and here's here's what we're doing as this process evolves and we're getting down to what ultimately the the strategic objectives are going to be for the institution. Yeah. And and this is really interesting. I I like that you point out this is a smaller institution of the 16 that you found that had those solid uh, strategic plans. Not all of them were the same, like school size, right? They were, so their, their goals were different, but their strategy was aligned to their goal. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, for sure. We had a a mix of large publics to small privates to, Mm -hmm religious affiliated institutions it was uh it was a good it was a good mix of institutions both across the larger set and then the set uh, that had the the more strategic strategic plans very interesting and i know that the findings were not all specifically for marketing but let's talk a little bit more about the marketing uh takeaways or findings based on the the condensed size of the the condensed report that you sent me uh, one takeaway was you you saw that there's a lot of opportunities for the marketing function to be further developed beyond just promotion, I think is what it said. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean there? Sure. That was one of the items we were most interested in is what would a review, an analysis of 100 plus strategic plans across higher ed reveal about higher ed marketing, about the function of marketing? Mm-hmm. And just as you said, uh, the focus was clearly around promotion once we did a content analysis of all the mentions. And about half the plans had specific or explicit mentions of marketing. And so then doing that content analysis, seeing you know, promotion um, expressed in a variety of ways of things like vigorously promote or boldly promote or promote our image or you know, promotion, promotion, promotion. And so the things that, that might indicate a, a more strategic role for marketing, uh, whether that's, you know, uh, understanding the audiences, uh, understanding your constituents, uh, helping to understand market conditions for program development, uh, revenue diversification, any number of areas uh, were less, were much less prevalent. It was actually uh, a bit disheartening to see uh, how marketing was, was represented in these plans because 
marketing has made a lot of, of, of forward movement and progress in terms of CMO, VP level roles. Mm-hmm. But according to these strategic plans, uh, there's a lot of work left to do. But it does speak to the opportunity. Um, you know, again, we did see a few exceptions to that, particularly among these 16, where marketing was collaborating with academic affairs and finance and um, there was an, a market intelligence-based approach to program development, and it was much more than just promotion. Um, so that that was one one clear takeaway about marketing and the role of marketing and plans. But in, a, along with that is the role of the CMO or the the, the leader for marketing as mm-hmm. part of the uh, part of the plans. And again, a great opportunity for marketing to be at the table. So. Back to that point of transparency, fewer than half of the plans identified who all was involved in the planning in terms of core uh, core strategic planning committee and working groups and all of that. But then for those who did, uh, a small number had marketing and communications. I think uh, 15 or 17 had a marketing and communications leader as part of the core strategic planning group. So if, if marketing role is to to get the word out mm-hmm. uh, around promotion or uh, make the strategic plan look pretty okay you know that that makes sense but if you're wanting marketing as we think uh, it, it should be can serve an institution and its ambitions around uh, more strategic areas in terms of understanding audiences in terms of understanding market conditions um, th- there's so much opportunity and so it's a it's a it's a miss. Like marketing leaders can be fundamental agents in creating that engagement with the people who matter most to an institution and its and its future. And so that constituent centric perspective um, that can take into account all the, the, the various stakeholder groups who are part uh, uh, of a strategic plan in terms of taking action or being influenced. Uh, marketing can bring that expertise to the table. And so again, it's a missed opportunity when marketing is not represented. So those were a couple of things related to marketing. Branding is another area which I could touch on as well, what we saw there. Amazing. And can you give us like an example of, you know, what is an audience-centric perspective look like? Maybe you don't have to name the institution or you can provide one example of what that looks like. I'm trying to just contextualize this and visualize this in my head. Yeah, yeah. And and I think it goes back to the the very beginning of of knowing that as you're developing a plan, like who's the strategic plan ultimately for? That was one of our main research questions mm-hmm. as we you know, encountered strategic plans anyway through the course of our work and they all kind of look the same and sound alike thinking, well, who are these, who are these ultimately for? Who's supposed to read them and act on them? And so going through that process of identifying your audiences or prioritizing audiences for a strategic plan can be really helpful. Uh, and also inviting audiences to to see their own agency in moving the university forward, having that conveyed in a strategic plan. And so, uh, you know, an example simply would be plans that were easy to read or even enjoyable to read mm. because they were designed with readers in mind. And and I and that's one uh, one characteristic of of good strategy is that it should be. Um, easy, simple, and, and even obvious to communicate and to, to understand. Um, so we saw, unfortunately, saw more examples that, that weren't necessarily audience-centric and even hard to follow priority, goal, initiative, tactic, and how do all these dots connect, for example, 
um, became became cumbersome. It, it shouldn't be cumbersome. It shouldn't be onerous to to read and understand a strategic plan. Um, and again, I think it gets back to let's let's think of this not just in terms of the institution, but in terms of our audiences. Um, and and again, marketing can be very valuable in that. One other disconnect that that comes to mind was we uh, we identified the most common overarching priorities or strategic goals. So diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging was one. Uh, um, research was uh, was another, and, and scholarship, creative activity, but community outreach, broadly defined, was one of those top priorities that we saw uh, most consistently across plans, but then digging into, well, who's participating in the strategic planning process, and only 10% of strategic planning committees included any community representation. So another example of that disconnect for mm. institutions that look uh, and act in a more inward fashion for strategic planning, yet our missions are about what, you know, when you ask that first question about mm -hmm. why I love higher ed, about transforming lives in society, they're outwardly focused. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's such an interesting disconnect uh, in this plan. And so again, you know, we, we know we need to be audience centric in our marketing work, but need to be audience centric in our strategy too. Mm -hmm. And you know what, this is actually reminding me a lot of, I don't get the opportunity to talk to people who formulate strategic plans or review them like you very often. Mm -hmm. But this actually reminds me a lot of, I've had a lot of higher ed website redesign conversations on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And I'll talk to people either directly supporting or directly managing a full website redesign. And the, the thing I'm hearing is, you know, you don't want to just go out there and create the website and expect everyone else to follow suit, right? And kind of going with your 10% of people are involved in the process of creating uh, these strategic, strategic plans. A lot of the successful newer higher ed websites talk to every college or every uh, unit of the school to see, hey, like, is this page being developed in the way that you're you know, you're seeing opportunity, or where where do you see frustrations? And they're really getting this community built approach to the websites. And I found that a lot of folks are really moving toward this model because one, they can condense the website into a few amount of pages and you know create a plan that's actually easier to understand like you just said but also have involvement from all the departments that want to say in the website and so that everyone's kind of on board with the plan it's kind of it's i'm connecting the dots and it sounds very similar to that obviously much higher level but <laughs> no i love that connection a clear a clear parallel and and i mean the thing that i take away from that as you you mentioned that example uh, going back to your question about promotion and seeing that that heavy focus across these strategic plans, and you know that's not the that's not the 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 role that marketing can can best play to serve an institution. At our core, is our role to represent or champion our constituents. You know those who were were engaging, those who are trying to reach and influence and move to action, those who are closest to the to the institution. Like when we represent those audiences, and can bring their perspectives, uh, worldviews, uh, experiences to the table to help guide decision making. That's you know that's the role of marketing. That's the beauty of what marketing can do. That external understanding of both our audiences, and then back to the point with strategic planning. Uh, market conditions and external uh, forces. Uh, that was another gap 
that we saw in these strategic plans is that so few strategic plans did any sort of environmental scanning or surveying of audiences. Mm -hmm. We saw this pattern emerge that when strategic plans were introduced, there would be this broad overview of all of these uh, conditions, you know, all the headwinds that we're familiar with right. uh, across the higher ed landscape, whether that's uh, the changing demographics or the scrutiny that's heightened of higher ed, all those issues we would hear about and see, and that that's helpful, but it didn't get to the spe specificity of those beyond that general overview of how do these uh, how do these factors, uh, whether they're uh, cultural, social, economic, how do they specifically affect this institution and the road ahead? And what do what are our perceptions of our audiences and stakeholders? What are the what are the market forces at, at play in our service region? So we didn't see a lot of that to really understand the specific and nuanced ways that those different factors can affect uh, a particular institution. So again, that speaks to an opportunity where marketing can add uh, add value. Um, and so that again, those broad that broad overview helped to make a case for change, but there's there's much more opportunity there mm -hmm. when you get into specific data and insights from market research that that marketing can help uh, bring to the table, and help understand current market position. That was another takeaway that there was a lot of uh, assumption about institutions and uh, their their distinctiveness and where they stand in the market. But it wasn't clear in strategic plans. Uh, we, we didn't see a, a clear, a, across the set, a clear um, understanding and explanation of where an institution currently is. Where they wanna go, their vision, their goals, all of that, they're great about saying, uh, here's what we wanna do. We wanna grow and we wanna mm -hmm. start these programs, but truly understanding a starting point where you are is essential, obviously, to know how to draw a map to get there. And that current understanding, again, another area, I keep harping on it, that marketing can bring that type of um, intelligence to institutional decision-making. Love that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if my manager might listen to this later, but, you know, we're all about creating like rocks, which are basically like our, our milestones or our, sorry, not our milestones. They are our goals like a strategic plan for the individual contributor and then we create milestones along the way to see you know where we're at in that process and so yeah i think that's really fundamental to understanding like how far you've gone or how far you've come so far love to hear it awesome well i'd love to switch gears a little bit more and before we do i do want to mention that we will be sharing rhb's resources out in the podcast description footnotes as well as the web page we'll create for this episode so that you'll have an opportunity to read more about what Rob and his team have been able to find from these learnings. So we'll share that out for you and be on the lookout for that. So jumping right back into the conversation here, uh, you mentioned this lightly before, but what are your thoughts around the future role of the CMO and marketing as a whole in higher ed? Big question there, Shiro. Uh, we, we did touch on it as it relates to, to strategic planning. And if I could back up and give you a, a current state of the, of the marketing function, and that's one of the things that we do at RHB is we help institutions with organizational effectiveness related to marketing and, and conduct organizational assessments. 
And what we see, we typically see institutions in either two camps, one of which would be a marketing function that is very much output oriented, uh, which would be in that promotion thing, you know, telling our story, a service function, taking requests and, and, and that sort of approach. And then uh, the, the next area would be a more strategic function where um, there are, are metrics associated with uh, how marketing is affecting uh, resources for the institution, revenue, mm -hmm. reputation, mm -hmm. rather than based on just activity. Uh, the work is aligned with key institutional priorities. There's uh, typically a VP level position dedicated to, to marketing. Uh, resources toward marketing are seen more as an investment rather than a cost. Uh, marketing is not a cost center uh, that we that we sometimes see in that more service support uh, type of function. I mean, marketing enables revenue generation, enables reputation enhancement. So those those two broadly defined areas, um, and we're seeing institutions often in the middle because there's always a always an executional element to marketing. So sometimes it's hard to evolve. An institution realizes we need marketing to, to play a more strategic function or strategic role for the institution. And we're not exactly sure how to get there. But then beyond that, because you asked the question about the future, like where could marketing go? And it's great when we see where marketing's work is aligned with strategic priorities Getting back to our discussion around strategic plans, there's an opportunity if, if marketing does and can do those things to bring that information, that data, those insights, marketing can help guide uh, those priorities. They can inform those priorities. They can help the institution decide what strategies to take versus just aligning our work with priorities. They can inform the work. And that's a, that's a critical difference. I, I talk about that as marketing as a chief strategy officer type of role and to think of marketing in that way. So that would be that would be one area as we look to the future of marketing. The other area, and I, I wrote a piece about this in Inside Higher Ed about a year or so ago about the chief constituent officer, which is not necessarily a title. It's more of a conceptual thought about how marketing can represent uh, a broader range of stakeholders. And it gets back to your point about a, a, an integrated constituent journey for our audiences because we're we're divided organizationally across our institutions into these functional silos but our our audiences look at the institution holistically like we're all um you know wherever your wherever your alma mater is like everyone you know they don't look at the office of so and so it's the university you know it's right. one university and so no one is responsible for thinking or strategizing in that way and increasingly constituents relationships with the institution are, are multidimensional. They don't just fit into one box or mm -hmm. one area. Like they have lots of points of connection, which is great with an institution. So who is, who is taking that global view, uh, connecting the dots with the institution? You know, we don't talk much about student lifetime uh, value, um, but but those who do, I encourage them to think of student lifetime value also in terms of the value to the constituent. You know, what is the value to them, not just to the institution, about being engaged in the life of the institution for their for their lifetime? And so that opportunity for higher ed, particularly as we get into CRM and and um, you know one CRM 
not multiple CRMs across admissions and, and right. student uh, and, and advancement, but an integrated CRM or one CRM. Um, and, and Slate CRM is something that we do at RHB. So that's a huge, huge opportunity. Um, I presented at the AMA Symposium for the Marketing of Higher Education mm -hmm. last year with Mary Gresh, uh, Senior Vice President at the University of Washington, and Binti Harvey, uh, VP at Scripps College, because they are two marketing and communications leaders who now lead marketing and advancement. So oh, they wow. have an integrated okay. portfolio, and, and you see that. Uh, in, in higher ed, but that's typically led by someone who comes from a development background. Mm -hmm. But this is these are places that are being led by those with a marketing and communications background with oversight of advancement. And, and again, it's mm -hmm. not it's not a it's not a, a power play or anything like that. It's an indication of the value that marketing can bring because of this. Uh, constituent-wide lens and understanding, and this institution-wide lens and understanding. So I'm I'm really excited about seeing a few examples like that, mm -hmm. um, and I think our institutions are going to be more, need to be more and more innovative, and in that way, and and not just think in terms of organizational structures that have always existed. Um, so I'm, I'll stop there, but it gets me excited thinking about the possibilities yeah. for, for so marketing leadership in the role. I have a question to, you know, ask why, why does, you know, why did, why do these process all need to be, um, I liked your example about, you know, your two colleagues or, uh, who are combining advancement and marketing now, right. Or communications together. Why is this need coming up? Is it because consumers now and students and potential students are now used to a society in which like journeys are perfected by other experiences in their life. Like this is very th theoretical, right? But like, why does this need come up? You know, like there's hired's been doing the same thing for you know, 30, 40, 50 years. Why does this need have to come up now? Oh, wow. There, there's probably a lot that we could get into there. And I, I think I put yours, you know, the, the reason that you just stated at the top of the list, because our expectations as, as customers, as consumers are, are changing. And you know, you're right, higher ed, we should be comparing ourselves or our institutions to the experiences that our constituents have with other brands, mm. you know, who are, you know, it's seamless in terms of, you know, interfacing with technology and, and you know, Heck, my Starbucks app. I mean, you can name any <laughs> any any of those types right. of examples. But then if I can make the connection back to the strategic plans, one of those top priorities that we saw most consistently was revenue diversification or or financial mm -hmm. sustainability. And advancement plays a role in that. And it was interesting to see the difference. And we saw um in and not to get too far into mentions of philanthropy and advancement. But it was very common to see that mentioned in specifically in, in financial sustainability and in a transactional sort of way. But we did see pockets of examples where it was a, a much more holistic approach of engagement and all the ways that we want um, our constituents to, again, be part of the life of the institution or be engaged in the institution or the, or the ways that we as an institution mm -hmm. should bring value to the constituents throughout their lifetime, throughout that journey, and by doing so, that's going to lead to increased engagement and increased giving. 
And so the the, mm-hmm. the financial piece of that, I think, is part of the part of the picture too, because it serves an institution well uh, over the long run. But that's right. the thing: is it's a long game, mm-hmm. and it's really hard to play the long game when you know there are all these pressures, and we've got to fill the you know the incoming class for next year. And again, I think that's that's a great opportunity for marketers is to bring that long like that long view perspective that institutions need. Love to hear it. And one one area I'm focusing on right now as a content subject for Concept 3D is around student onboarding. So what we're defining student onboarding as is your period from after you've committed, right, to actually showing up to school on move-in day, the move-in day itself, plus the first week or one month of orientation, and maybe that first, you know, two to three months of the student, of the first-year student's journey. And kind of looking at that whole experience as a student onboarding process and how, you know, institutions are starting to really, I think, invest more resources from a people perspective, from a money perspective, so that students have a really good initial experience. Um, And and so that, you know, they can retain those students more and they can advance to to the second year, third year and become, you know, uh, loyal alums as well. And so that's a conversation I'm having. The flip side of that is to to talk about those three areas pre uh, pre move in day move in day and uh, orientation and first year experience. Those are all managed by like three to four different departments, and so mm-hmm. you know you, I can already see the the decentralization of that experience for the student. Because if I was a student, whatever communications I'm receiving over summer before showing up to my dorms. So that first year is going to be, you know, I'll look at it as one single journey or what, close to one journey, but it's already fragmented, I think, um, from a department perspective at the institutional level. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Um, that's uh, high value work. So right. uh, I'd love to hear more about that because it, it does it, it. And it's an encouragement to to listeners and their institutions about the work that they do. And I'm sure there are comparable examples that they have is. How can you operate? How, how can you functionally, um, you know, organize your work around the the student or the constituent, mm-hmm. and and less like your organizational chart? You know, your work doesn't have to look like your organizational chart. How do you, you know, if that. you were to organize around um, those that you're trying to serve, what would that what would that look like? And 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 you're right too. It's the transition points that get get the the rockiest or they're they're the, the the most obstacles there and i would always say that that transition from student to alum would be one of those where as a from a constituent perspective it's almost as if someone has to reintroduce themselves to the university right they're going to uh typically new information system new staff new all of that and so is is that experience their interests all of that carried over to where that's just a seamless integration and even looking ahead too, um, where you might have what um, you know graduate programs that are on a subscription model, or all the different ways that higher ed will change, and where just four years is not enough, and we may be going in and out to get credentials or to get more education, and that uh, relationship between being a student, being alum, is you know is is less defined. So you know another example of why we need to be more integrated in the way we think and the way we work that's that's more tied to those we're serving and less tied to kind of all the organizational silos that are inherent in higher ed love that and i, I think i want to pull a quote from this that it, what was it you said that 
your work does not have to be tied to the departments that it's divided between or some, something along those lines. Right, right. Love that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're all, we're all, you know, we, we, we've shown during COVID all the ways that we can collaborate um, and work cross-functionally. There's a, so much opportunity there. Love to hear it. Rob, thank you so much for all your insight. That was super fun conversation. I wonder where our audience can connect with you uh, and learn more about what you're up to or what RHB is up to. Yeah, thanks, Shiro. Definitely feel free to reach out on LinkedIn. Would love to make a connection and, and hear uh, what other people are doing and facing and the, the challenges and how they're, uh, they're working through some of the issues that we touched on. So feel free to reach out on LinkedIn, Rob Zinkin, and uh, check us out on rhb.com. I would go to Insights. There is a, a ton of uh, information there and our you know, writing that we share on across our four practices of marketing, enrollment, executive counsel, slate and related technology. Lots of insights there that we hope will be valuable and help you in the, the important work that you do. That's fantastic. Thanks so much again for joining and thank you for our listeners for tuning in. We'll have another exciting episode next week as well. Thanks, Rob.